Sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Let me start with a fact. Love is a beautiful thing. It is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever experience in this life. Until, of course, when hearts are broken and the story of love becomes sour. Or when you find yourself between two things you love so much and you have to choose. Some people say this is the worst and unimaginable thing that can happen to a person. But I believe these are the most climactic, vital moments for love to rise, to make itself visible and known and proclaim the owner of his or her heart. And I think, I mean, I think that's beautiful. How many of us can say we know truthfully, unequivocally, who the owner of our heart is. And in the story next, the matter of Baqis Abdul Qadir's heart was clear. She knew from young what she loved most. I mean, she almost had no other choice. I am actually the youngest of eight. Four sisters, three brothers. We were a basketball family. Uh, my parents actually converted to Islam. So my mother was um, actually like legit in the choir, mm. hardcore Christian. 
They didn't miss Sundays. <laughs> like, they were known as the Humphrey girls. And the Humphrey girls, mashallah, they were really cute. And subhanAllah, like, um, around age, I think between, like, 22, 24, somewhere in there, she became Muslim. Mm. My father had no religious background. Mm. So my my nana was just, like, just be a good person. Yeah. But alhamdulillah, he found Islam. And he actually converted to marry my mother. Wow. She was a single mother of six. And they found each other later in life. They they grew up around from around the corner from each other. Found each other later in life. Remet. He went in for a hug one day. She was in Kimar. She was like full full out. He went in for a hug. Sis was like, you nah, bro, like this ain't that no more. So he thought like he thought, oh, uh, this is a phase. Like, what is this Muslim stuff that she's doing? Yeah, girl. My mother was like, nah, she wasn't going. And he realized like, what is she? Mm-hmm. What does she believe in that makes her so passionate about life and about what her focus is? He, you know, learned about Islam himself and ended up converting. Mm. And he took on her six kids. They tried to kill him a few times, like legit, like get this guy out of (laughs) here. They weren't used to seeing my mother happy. They weren't used to seeing her in this new element that he brought into her life. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I'm the only child from my parents. Mm -hmm. So they call me the golden child. (laughs) But no, alhamdulillah, um, I'm the youngest. And again, um, we had a black American Muslim upbringing, Mm. which is very unique in itself. For those who are listening and don't know what that means, like, why is that unique? It's unique because we we have a Black American culture, but we don't have a language. We don't have our own clothing. Mm. We don't have somewhere where we can say, I'm from here. Mm -hmm. Right? So number one, that's an identity crisis within itself. Mm -hmm. But subhanAllah, like, the way that we grew up, like, so when my mother first converted, like, all she knew is Quran and Sunnah. That's how she learned Islam. Mm -hmm. So there was no cultural baggage. There was no, for example, wear the hijab when you're ready. There was no, um, you eat just halal meat. It was Mm -hmm. like, you zabiha, straight. (laughs) That's it. Right? (laughs) And so... It's subhanAllah, like even the way we dress, like I grew up in a Desi like masjid, Mm -hmm. right? People used to think that we were automatically poor because we were black. Mm. So they would leave clothes on our doorsteps, like as if we needed, how many like we were okay. We were not dirt poor. Mm -hmm. We didn't have it all, Mm -hmm. but they would leave clothes and these are brand new shawar khamis. Mm -hmm. These are all the nice. So we're like, yeah, we're wearing it. Like what? To to eat, to to juma. I grew up thinking that the Indian Pakistani clothing were masjid clothes. I grew up thinking that biryani, samosa, all of these foods were masjid foods because again, that's all we knew. Right. Until I was like 13, somebody was like, Oh, I'm not sis. Like that's my culture. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that gives a very unique experience. So like, tell me about where you grew up. I have no idea where you grew up. Like what area in the U S did you grow up? What do you fondly remember about your childhood growing up in the area that you grew up? Like, describe that for me. So I grew up in the inner city, Springfield, Massachusetts, which is also the birthplace of basketball, which is also where the the Hall of Fame is. Mm -hmm. Literally, in every urban park, every outdoor park, basketball was a sport. So the city is majority minority, if you Mm want to say. Mm -hmm. So like Hispanic, Black. My parents homeschooled us, so I I had another unique experience. My mother was a teacher by profession, and she hated the public school system. She was like, I'm not sending my kids here. And so she homeschooled all of us from 
babies, some to college, some Mm -hmm. to high school. And I was actually sent to school for the first time as an eighth grader. It was literally like our house was the house that had the only basketball hoop. That was one investment (laughs) my parents made that they were like, we have to give this to them because this is their way out. And it's crazy. Growing up in that city, you were told like as a black kid, there was only entertainment and there was sport. So if you want to go to college or you want to make money, you better be good at one of these things. And again, my parents didn't grow up with financial literacy. They didn't grow up knowing that you could get scholarships and academic scholarships and these things. And then the schools that we went to were the same way. Our guidance counselors didn't share what scholarships were out there. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was, yo, let's be good at this sport. Mm -hmm. And so my father on his hands and knees bought this outdoor hoop. He had to make the concrete, made the concrete, flattened out our driveway, stuck this hoop in the ground, and we were the house on the block. Our house was literally the only house on the block for years before they built an outdoor court for our community that people could play basketball. So describe me kind of what your earliest memory of basketball was like. It was watching my brothers on the court in in our backyard. Because, of course, I was too young to play. Mm -hmm. And I would literally watch their feet. I would watch their arms. I would watch their hand. I was literally, I wanted to be them. Mm -hmm. I had sisters that played, but I was too young to watch them play. I was way younger. Mm -hmm. So my brothers were who I looked up to. And I knew, I'm like, oh, he put the ball between his legs. I'm going to do that. So here I am on the (laughs) side, little, losing the ball. It's rolling in the street. My brother's getting mad because they got to go get it for me. But it was me literally trying to mimic every move. And I wanted to play. Like, I knew that I was going to be a basketball player from, I was about three, four years old. Did you always know that you wanted to pursue being an athlete? Was that something you always knew or is that kind of something that kind of fell into your lap? Honestly, I feel like it was innate. Like my Umi, when she was pregnant with me, I just know she was screaming and yelling at all these. I heard the nonsense while I was in the womb. Yeah. Like the whistles being blown, (laughs) the basketballs being bounced, her yelling, foul, call the call ref. I mean, my mother is next level in the stands. Yeah. And I just feel like that energy that she had when she was pregnant with me just was like, boom. Yeah. I came out dribbling a ball. Like, but no, I knew that I knew that I wanted to be. I had this natural talent for it mashallah and then Mm -hmm. it was just what i saw Mm -hmm. so it was it was just natural for me to pick the ball up what was your relationship with Allah like then i would say up until around like age 13 i loved sunday school i loved you know being one of the best like reciters in my class and it was almost the the athlete in me Mm. that had to be the best so it's kind of like probably didn't even come from this natural like (laughs) love for islam right stuck for the law but It was more so I I wanted to be the best at whatever I did. But then you go through that crisis of wanting to fit in. When I hit teenage years, it was like, who am I? The trials and tribulations of teenagehood is something we've all experienced. Some of us struggle to navigate the spaces between our Islamic identity and our cultural upbringing. And for Balqis, right, this was no different. So what was it like for Balqis? Being a black Muslim woman. Number one, being black. People see us automatically as inferior. And then Muslim, people have no idea what this is, especially the where I grew up. People don't know about Islam. People don't know what it is. And then being a woman, 
Like, mm-hmm. what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be in the house. Or, you know, we're not supposed to do certain things. Or, And so really, I feel like to society's eyes, mm-hmm. we were already below mm-hmm. or beneath. Mm-hmm. And now that I understand every part of my identity, I'm like, this is a trifecta. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm powerful and people don't even understand this. And then when you throw in the athlete part, that is where I found my empowerment because I was able to break so many stereotypes about being a black Muslim woman because I was good at basketball. So subhanAllah, it saved me. It put me in a powerful position to be able to educate, to be able to break these stereotypes and really just show like, nah, what you think I'm supposed to look like or I'm supposed to be or how I'm supposed to act is not even it and it's far from it. So I feel like basketball was that tool to help me kind of not only blend in, but educate and empower other people. Mm -hmm. So tell me how you got into basketball. I don't know too many, forget about Muslim, hijabi athletes, like who are visible. It really started probably at the age of 12 where I knew that I was going to try to take this to the next level. And my parents had like a really serious conversation with me and they were like, look, we can't afford college. And so you're going to have to figure out a way to get a scholarship. And it wasn't like they were putting pressure on me, but they were just being real. Like, this is your reality. Yeah. And I knew that my parents were already in debt trying to pay for my siblings Mm. who were above me. Uh Right. Their tuition and their lives. So I'm like, how can I lift this financial burden off my parents? I was like, I'm a grind. Whenever I would have a homeschool break, like within the school day, I'm outside working on my ball handling over and over between legs behind the black. Wow. I would literally lay in my bed and I would work on my follow through. Wow. I would get in trouble for hitting the ceiling because it's like I was yeah. stop throwing the ball up. And I had to be the best in my city to get this scholarship. Wow. And I'm from a small town. Colleges don't come to recruit from there. Right. So you have to stand out. You have to bring these college coaches to you. And alhamdulillah, my parents finally decided to send me to actual school. So I was eighth grade. I'm 13. And I was like, I have to play. I have to be on the high school team in order to get recruited. You know, I went to a public charter school. So we were all in school together from sixth grade to high school and tried out for the varsity team. I made it as an eighth grader. (laughs) And subhanAllah, like my career started when I was 13 years old. That's when the journey began. And my first game as an eighth grader, I scored like 43 points. Shut up. The city went wild. Like they were like, who is this girl with a long name? We don't know because I didn't wear hijab at the time. I I looked like everybody else. I had my short sleeves. I had my shorts. And they were just like, yo, we don't know where she came. Where did she come from? We can't say her name, but she's a baller. (laughs) And I was in the news. Like I made the newspapers and I was like, this is the coverage I need. This is all I'm thinking. I need the scholarship. I got to get this money so I can get this. So alhamdulillah, that's when everything started. But can you tell me a little bit about that game? Like that build up that day. Did you know when you went into that? Okay, this is my moment. (laughs) I have to do this, this and this. Or did you just kind of like, okay, I got on a team. Let me just play the best I can. I just wanted to play. Like, I was a street hooper, Mm. right? So all I knew was you get the ball, you go. There's refs here. Now, I knew how to play with refs. I knew the game. But it was like, no, we we need to win. Oh, okay, watch this, right? So my team, my team wasn't good. Like, I had high school girls (laughs) who were like 16, 17 who never played a lick of basketball in their life. So they would pass it and they would be like, Kesey, come get the ball back. So I would go grab it from them. (laughs) It was actually a mess. 
But subhanAllah, one thing when you play in like uh, inner city boys and girls clubs and community mm-hmm. centers, nobody keeps counting your score, like how many points you scored. So my question when I saw myself in the newspaper was, who kept count? Right? I didn't know that they were bookkeepers. I didn't know that they were... So I was like, oh, I'm... I felt like this was professional leagues. Yeah. Like, oh, they're keeping stats? Yeah. Oh, I'm on it. So it was a normal game for me. Honestly, I didn't even think about how many baskets I scored. I just knew that we won the game. And I was yeah. like, that's good enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's all I needed. Do you think people doubted you because you're an inner city kid? Or did you feel like... You felt like you were probably the best thing on that team? Well, my teammates knew that I was the best one from tryouts. Yeah, okay. The opposing teams... They were all majority Catholic schools, Mm. right? So we never played anyone who looked like us. So we would have to drive hours to go play these teams, right? The most racist conditions we'd ever been in. This is Massachusetts. You have to think. Like, when people think of Massachusetts, I don't know what they think of, but it's real up there. Yeah. And now these teams, of course, were inner city school. Nobody knows this charter school. We Our school was a trailer, literally one hallway. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're going to kill this team. And then here I come, the smallest on the court, dropping 50 points on these folks. Right? (laughs) They could not handle it, sis. Mm. They're like, nah, mad. I mean, didn't even want to shake our hands after some of the games. Like, that's how salty people were. Scoring 43 points in one game was just the start of Bilqis' career. At just five foot one, yeah, she went on to become the highest high school point scorer in the state, a record that was formerly held by a WNBA player and Olympic athlete. I mean, per <laughs> as Bilqis is breaking records and gaining recognition in the media, one day she receives a letter in the mail from the White House. Excuse me, I mean the Black House. <laughs> At the time that I was invited to the White House, I wasn't who I am now as a Muslim, Mm. right? So at this time, it was like, oh, I was padding my stats. Like, oh, I'm somebody. I wasn't humbled at all. Mm. But when I got the, it it was an amazing situation. Like my Umi called me one day and she's like, I got a letter from the White House. This is when I was in, I was a freshman in college at the time. So I'm in Tennessee. My Umi's in Massachusetts. And she's like, "Uh, you got a letter from the White House? And I'm like, Umi, it's probably season's greetings yeah, like throw tell it away you to like, vote. We, yeah <laughs> exactly we vote. all get these this junk mail and then she's like no like it has the golden seal on it like I think we should op-. I'm like sis you just want to open my mail open it with me. it's fine go ahead <laughs> so she opens it and it's a straight in, in, invitation to Ramadan iftar and mm-hmm. I'm like they have iftars at the White House so she's like you need to call this number to see what this is about mm-hmm girl I called a number it's this really proper woman who picks up the phone and she's like if you're calling this you've been invited to and I'm like stop I'm like you for so I mean they had to do a background check what's your social security number like all of these details and I'm like you need my what and she's like do you like basically do you want to come I'm like yep seven seven six five look I gave that number so quick who was president at the time Barack Obama Barack o- so you went to the black house you didn't go to the white house Facts. You went to the Black House. Wow, what an era. <laughs> so it was like, and honestly, it was next level. I They flew me out from college to the White House. We go through these secret doors. There's black trucks everywhere. Like what you see on TV is real about the president. So it's not, they're not, they're not exacerbating it. Because I thought it was no, a bit Hollywood. No, it is not Hollywood. 
So they have like so many different entrances into the White House. So I go through, I go through airport security, basically. It was crazy. I get to the dining room and they have ushers to usher you to your seat. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the usher is like, um, you have the best seat in the house. And in my head, I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) Girl, I get to the seat. It has my name and on a nameplate written in this beautiful gold cursive. Okay. And then right next to my nameplate, Mr. President. You're lying. You're lying. I said, I'm not, I said, I'm not about to. You're lying on everything. They put you. Not even. So it's you, Barack, and Michelle Obama. Is what trying to tell me? She, Michelle didn't come. Michelle didn't come. So, so you look like you said Michelle's seat is what you're trying to tell me. Facts. You said Here Michelle I was. Obama's seat. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, no way am I about to break my fast next to the president. So he comes in, he does his grand entrance, and of course he goes straight to the podium. This is before they took phones, because now they take phones. Yeah. So I got my phone. I'm taking selfies like this. I took, <laughs> I'm going in with the president yeah. behind me. He sits down. During his speech, he actually mentions me. He's like, where's Bill Keese? Bill Keese, can you stand up? Oh and so I'm like, my. look, I'm like, me? And he's like, you the basketball? I'm like, this is, yes, this is me. <laughs> so I stand, I stand up, and he's like, Bill Keese, he's like... She's only 5'5", five, five, and she actually has heels on right now. So basically, I'm not this tall. Yeah. He was like that. I was a, I'm an inspiration. His words, verbatim. I'm not an inspiration just to Muslim girls. I'm an inspiration to everyone. I, I about melted wow. in my shoes. Wow. And I was like, stop. This is not real. And then the man challenged me to a one-on-one game oh at dinner. Remember this like it was yesterday, honestly. It was, it, was, um, it was life-changing, you know? Like, even though a lot of people have their opinions about him and about his presidency, like, that's fine. But that's, a, that's being a part of history. Yeah, it is That being will never be erased. And so um, one thing I had to say bad, I was just like, y'all could have seasoned the chicken a little more. Yeah. Like, I had to ask for hot sauce. <laughs> I asked for hot sauce. Not the Black House not bringing season. That's insane. That's insanity. Baby, they called it orange chicken, right? So they had these slices of chicken breast with orange peels shredded on top. I said, never, never can I eat this. They brought me out this cute little bottle of hot sauce with the golden seal on it. I said... I, I'm keeping this. Iconic. That is insane. I really want to get into this. I know we talked a lot about but I really wanted to have a holistic background about who you are. Just in case nobody knew who you were. But today they do. Thanks. You know, the girl with I the long that. name <laughs> that Barack wanted to go one-on-one with. Okay? Just in case you don't know. And I beat him. I went back and I played him. Okay, wait a minute. Bismillah. You played one-on-one with Barack Obama. It was, a, it was another event that I went to years later. Okay. I didn't think he was going to remember me. This was like five years after yeah. going as a freshman. Yeah. So he comes, right? And it was crazy because I was getting shunned at this event. Mm. So I wasn't an NBA player. I wasn't a WNBA player. But I was invited to be a part of a basketball clinic mm-hmm. in their backyard. What did they... It was actually called like the Easter egg roll. Mm. But it wasn't anything about Easter. They were talking about bringing kids together to play sports. Mm-hmm. So I'm there and I got my Muslim Girls Hoop 2 shirt on, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm representing on the court. So all the people who were higher ups, they're like, um, excuse me, ma'am, like where are you from? And I'm like, oh, my name is Bill Keese, whatever. And so they're like, oh, can you just stand over to the side? And so I'm looking at my Umi and Abu and I'm like, why are they doing me like this? Like, yeah. this is crazy. So I'm like, it's fine. Like, I'm just chilling. So Barack Obama comes out. He's making his grand entrance. He's going around. There's like spectators around the court, kids getting ready to play. And so he says his hi to everybody. Then he sees me and he's like, the baller? <laughs> The cameras start going, they rush over to us, click, 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 right? 
And he's like, Wallahi. He he well, he touched me. He don't know. So he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, This girl right here has been talking smack for the last however many years. It's time to settle it right now. No. I said, first off, Barack, never am I look, <laughs> never am I talking smack. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Right? So he's like, let's do it right now. A shooting game. So we played a shooting game and I ended up beating him in the shooting and game. And everybody was watching, including the WNBA players? NBA players, WNBA players, professional Shut tennis up. players. Bilkis became known as the hijabi basketball player who beat Obama, like Barack Obama from the Black House, okay? But before she reached this point in her career, she would be tested with the commandments of the hijab. And this trial would be the one that defined the rest of her basketball journey and her relationship with her faith. Eighth grade, I, w- I look like everyone else. Okay. Ninth grade year, I-, I reached puberty. And so in my house, it was when you reach the age of puberty, you start to wear the hijab. Sah. Or we call it khimar, of course, uh, yeah, which is the yeah, correct term. Yeah. So, girl, happened probably a month before basketball season mm-hmm. was supposed to start my freshman year in high school. I was devastated, devastated. And it was, Allah is so wise because let me tell you, my freshman year, I done made a name for myself as an eighth grader. Now everybody knows me, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm the baller. I was pretty smart. I got good grades. Uh-huh. Now I think I'm cute. I think I'm pretty. <laughs> now my hairstyle goes from, because when I was eighth grade, I'm a baller, like wrap my yeah. joint up or I had, I had zigzag braids. Yeah. Like I'm, I look like little Bow Wow, yeah. right? <laughs> so. <laughs> a little Bow Wow. <laughs> To the ne- like that's what people used yeah. to actually call me when I had my braids. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a girl. Actually, people used to think I was a boy. And so, anyway, freshman year comes, and now I feel like I'm pretty. These boys here like me here and there, whatever they, you know, because I'm good at basketball. And so now I'm starting to do my hair, wearing it. You're curly. getting your, in oh, your I'm, feminine I'm, era. You're getting your feminine era. Because now I feel like I can do both. Yeah, I can switch it up. Yeah. I can be on the court. Yeah. Allah was like, nope, slow down. <laughs> Boom. Weeks into freshman year, start to wear the hijab. I didn't want to go back to school. So how did that happen? Like, did your mom have to sit you down and say, okay, bachis? No. How did that, like... I, look, I'm in math class. Okay. I go to the bathroom. Happens. I call my umi. I said, come get me. My life is over. <laughs> like, no... There was no preparation. And this is the thing that, again, my mother didn't know how to prepare. Like, mm. she told us, when you reach puberty... You're going to wear it. Like, and there's no question about it, which I understood. Mm. But when it happens, you never think it's going to happen. I was mad old. Mm. What, 15? And then I, I got my period. And I went home and I just was like contemplating, like, how can I go back to school and be who I thought I was? I was the funny person. I was the athlete. I I was popular. Mm-hmm. When you wear the Kimar, you have to, and you don't have to change who you are, but your behaviors have to change. You have to have this haya about yourself. Mm-hmm. You're carrying some weight. Like you're representing a race of people. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't understand this, right? I'm like, I'm just a kid. Like, I just want to play basketball. I just want to be like everybody else. Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. And I told my parents, I was like, can you homeschool me again? I was like, don't, <laughs> just don't send me back. Like, subhanAllah, it was actually a crisis for yeah. me. And, and I grew up like some of my siblings, my sister stopped wearing the hijab by that time. Yeah. And so now I'm in this mindset, why did they do it? Because they never talked to me about it. Yeah. It was just one day they were wearing it, then one day they weren't. Yeah. And I could see the disappointment in my umi. Mm-hmm. 
And I just knew that something in me didn't want to disappoint her mm. or make her sad. And so she, honestly, she was the main reason why I even chose to wear the kimar, wear it mm-hmm. in general. So alhamdulillah for your Umi's love because in her dua, but it was tough. It was hard. And it took me about like a week and a half to go back to school. Oh, like I woke up so was really every hard. morning I woke up, I was crying. I'm like, well, we don't, I just don't want to go back. I just want to go back. Finally, she was like, girl, get it together. You're going to school. Yeah. Like, my homie didn't play. Like, yeah. she wasn't even for the tears. Like, yeah. this is what you have to do, right? And, and imagine, I can imagine, like, now you're a hijabi. Do you know, like, your uniform, ball uniform had to change. So, like, how, how did, I know that's a weird, radical question, but wasn't that kind of, like, daunting? Like, you got to figure out the boundaries. You're like, okay, what does this mean now for my and, lifestyle? And listen, there was no athlete that I could look up to to say, oh, I'm going to wear that. So I literally had to change the game for myself and figure it out. Number one, there was no sport hijab, Mm-mm. right? Not at that time. There was no such thing. At that time, there was no dry fit material, sis. Mm-hmm. There was no sweat waking material. Like, this came out maybe two years after I started wearing the hijab. Wow. So we're in every sports store in our city trying to figure out where's the light sweatsuit pants or couldn't find nothing. So what happened? My Umi had this random like old black piece of material that she used to wear for her uh, as a khimar and we tied it in like turban style. And then I wore these thin sweatpants. They were still hot. And I wore like a, you know, a shirt that we would wear under a dress that's sleeveless or whatever. Mm -hmm. One of those shirts. And it was crazy because a lot of the shirts were too big for me. So they would be like, my coach would pin it back and tape it around so that it wouldn't pass my Subhanallah. It was a struggle. Alhamdulillah, like Allah made a way for me. And then even with the hijab, even wearing it, my Umi didn't want me to wear the turban style because of course it, you know, my neck was revealed. Mm -hmm. But that was my struggle too. Because I could have wore a two-piece. The two-piece was hot. I tried mm. the two-piece. I was like, this is crazy. Like, I can't breathe, <laughs> right, on the court. So one of the reasons why I didn't wear the two-piece yeah. was because it was too restricting yeah. around the neck. Yeah. So I begged my Umi, can I please wear as a turban? I will only wear it like this on the court. SubhanAllah, that was my test. Like, because I felt more myself with the turban, I then used to wear this day to day. Yeah. And so that was my test when I first started to wear the hijab. My Umi hated every bit of it. Like, Wallahi, and she knows this now, it's not a secret. It's not a secret to anyone, but I would leave my house. Mm-hmm. I would wear it like almost as if it was an umta, like an underpiece. Mm-hmm. And I would put the long hijab over. Mm-hmm. Then when I got to the school bus, mm-hmm. I would take the big piece off mm-hmm. and just wear the turban. Yep. And my Umi knew, right? Mm-hmm. My mother's not dumb. Mm-hmm. She would come to the school randomly and they'd be like, Bill come to the front office. I walk up with my neck not covered, yeah. just the turban. She'd be like, what's she doing? Oh my goodness. She used to check me. Yeah. Like she was on me, but I needed it. Because now, now I see. Yeah. When I went through my transformation as a Muslim woman, I was like, I get it. Yeah. Why she was... Why she, she was trying to save me from so yeah. much, you know? So did you... Do you feel like you stand out? Now you're the ball player with the turban. Do you feel like you really stood out at this point? The first time I stepped on the court with that on, the refs didn't say anything. Mm. I had to carry a paper Mm. to say that I was Muslim. Mm. Crazy, right? Mm. Like identity card. So some refs would ask like, why why are you wearing that? What's this on your head? That it was fine. People just didn't know. And that's what I realized. So the people who were laughing, who were pointing, who were making fun, as soon as the game started and I crossed somebody over, made a three-point shot, they're like... (laughs) The girl with the clothes can who? What is this? Like what? 
subhanAllah, after the games, these same people would wait for me outside the locker room. They would be like, excuse me, like you're, you're an amazing player, but, but can I ask why you have to wow. wear what you're wearing? And I'm like, light bulb, these folks don't know anything, right? Yeah. And so that was my moment of clarity. Like I can give dawah, fulfill one of my duties as a Muslim by hitting three-point shots and crossing people over. Like, wow. yes, like, wow. Allah, thank you for this easy blessing, right? Yeah. So that kind of motivated me to, to be okay yeah. with my new uniform, you know, and kind of carry on. Despite Bilqis' climb to success, she would be challenged by her love for the game. And she had to ask herself how much she'd be willing to give up the sport she loved. I got offered multiple Division One scholarships, which is amazing, right? Yeah. This is the goal. Mm-hmm. So again, my goal stayed the same. The problem was I became someone, right? I had this ounce of fame. I'm now well-known in my city. I break these records. I'm one of a few to get a Division One offer from my city. Like, this doesn't happen where I'm from, mm-hmm. right? So I signed to a Nike school. I'm getting a full scholarship. Don't have to pay anything. I'm traveling everywhere. So you have this weird, you feel like you're somebody, right? So you're forgetting Mm -hmm. about why. I'm forgetting that I Mm -hmm. am the Muslim hooper, right? The hijabi hooper. I'm forgetting that status. And now I'm famous in a way. Mm -hmm. So you pat yourself on the back. You're like, oh, I'm I'm this, I'm that. You go through college Mm -hmm. and college was a, a true test. Because now I'm surrounded by people who have no idea about faith, mm. whether it's their own faith, my faith, faith in general, this idea of 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 a God or a higher power. Like these people are living life on, in college. When you you go to school with Division One athletes, their goal is to go pro, mm-hmm. right? So they're about money. They're about girls. Mm. Same thing for the girls' sports. You want to be able to date maybe the future pro athletes. So you get lost in the sauce, like. Mm-hmm. And the only thing, this is why, like, subhanAllah, my mother's du'a was so strong because I had a good foundation, Islamic. Like, I wasn't out here being messy or mm-hmm. doing craziness, mm-hmm. but there were times where I, where I fell. You know, there were times where I would wear leggings with some shorts or, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. trying to be cute. And, and it was just like, yo, who am I? Like, I look back at pictures and I'm like, delete, delete, delete. Like, you're so mm-hmm. mad, mm-hmm. but you're proud of the growth. So I lost a lot of my Islam when I went to college. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how often I even picked up a Quran to read. Mm. The only thing that made me Muslim was my name and the fact that I covered my hair. Everything else was, and I prayed. I made sure I prayed, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I feel like that was a gift of guidance from Allah, that Mm. the fact that I never stopped praying regardless of where I was, regardless of who I was hanging out with, what I was doing, like, my salah always was there. Mm-hmm. And I know that came from my ummi's dua. But that was the only thing. And, of course, prayers behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Some of my teammates would see me pray. They they knew to respect it. They knew that guys couldn't see my hair. So, like, and mm-hmm. I made those, I made those, I raised those bars high. Mm-hmm. Right? So, if a guy was coming to our apartment, they'd be like, nah, you can't come in unless my, my teammate puts her scarf mm-hmm. on. So there was respect levels, you know, that I'm still proud of to this day that I made. But again, you know, in retrospect, like I lost a lot of my Islamic identity when I was going through college. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine how alone it felt for you because how many Muslims were you around um, that no, got it, understood? No. You had to educate everybody what your boundaries are, right. but who kept you accountable? 
Like, that's a different story, right? That's why good companions oh are different because <laughs> you need both. You need... So people say, nah, like, you're, you're just not right. What are you you're, doing? What are you doing? This right. is not who you are. This is not who we are. <laughs> you know what I love about Muslims as friends? We don't talk in I. We say, we, yo, we don't do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it makes you feel like, like we win together and we take L's together. That's what I love about being Muslim. It's like, it's a we I thing. didn't have that. Yeah. I didn't have that. You didn't. And, and what, what I did have were my cousins back home. Like, my cousins were my, my yeah. friends. Yeah. My Muslim friends. They were they were going through life. They were away from yeah. thousand miles away from home, yeah. right? But what changed me was my test in life was me not being able to play pro. Like when the law took that away, everything was taken away. So it was the end of my senior season um, at Indiana State University. That last game as a senior is heartbreaking because you know that an era has ended, and you know that oh, okay. There's, there's something else that I can look forward to, but this is different. So when you step into a pro athlete profile, you're now having to sell yourself, mm. right? So all you have is the stats from your college career to prove that you're a good player. You have these old videos to prove that you're a good player. Alhamdulillah, I had a great senior season. I made a name for myself in, at this new school that I went to in Indiana. And I had like the chances of me making a pro team were very, very high. And then to add to that, I had this Islamic identity that nobody knew about. I was a hijabi hooper, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time, people were interested, like intrigued. Like what is... Diversity. Right. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to play international basketball. And so FIBA exists in Canada and every other country but America. In case you're wondering, FIBA is the International Basketball Federation that governs the sport of basketball worldwide. I mean, these people decide what you wear how you play the game, what the lines are, what the boundaries are. Like, they decide all the rules. So you get paid big money. Like, you sign a contract, they fly you out, you get a car, you get a nice apartment, you wow. eat good food. Wow. You're living this life that we see these pro athletes live. A little different from American athletes, but still. So I go to this combine. It's called the combine. And this is where you try out in front of pro recruits and scouts. I do my thing. A scout comes up to me the same day and was like, I want to sign you to my agency. The, the scout signed you to the agency so that they can help you get a good team. Wow. Good contract. So I'm like, so I'm here the, you are. I'm moving up. Like, alhamdulillah, like, You're moving boom, up. this is happening so fast. I'm trying to catch up. Like, mm -hmm. wait a minute. Like, mm -hmm. I'm training. I'm waking up 6 a.m. I'm running. I'm doing everything. Then one day, I'm in Indiana still. I get a call from my agent. And a few weeks into us getting to know each other and me sending her my videos and my player profile, she hits me with, oh, um, there's a rule that I want to double check on that FIBA has in place. And it's in regards to headgear. And I'm like, oh, OK, like it doesn't it's not going to phase me. Like I played Division one basketball with my hijab. All I need is a waiver mm -hmm. to say that I'm mm -hmm. Muslim and I carry it around to each game. So I'm explaining this to her like I already been through this. This is cool. So she said, yeah, let me double check on it. So we reach out to FIBA Communications and we go, oh, you know, it's a Muslim player. She wears hijab. This is what it is. And she'll be wearing it in the games when she comes to play in whatever league she plays in. So FIBA goes, oh, well, um, basically, we want to keep the game religiously neutral. So, you know, we don't necessarily allow religious symbols. And so... First off, this is not even uh, what the rule states. 
Okay, the rule literally says you can't wear anything larger than a athletic headbands. We responded and said, what about the players who have these religious symbols as tattoos? So I'm like, shouldn't they have to wear some type of sleeve, long sleeve to cover that up if you want to keep everybody on the floor religiously neutral? Mm-hmm. So they knew that we made a point. So the guy responds back. Now he hits us with the actual rule. Well, regarding safety, her scarf can cause injury to herself or others. And so I'm like, how? first of all, why would it hurt me? And second of all, what do you think it's going to do? I'm like, what do they think? It's a magic carpet. Snap my fingers, it's going to fly off, no, but, block shot. But why hasn't it hurt you yet? Yet. Right? You've been playing, wonder, like you've been doing this for a while. Why hasn't it hurt you yet? It made no sense. And then I'm like, it has no pins in it. I didn't even wrap it around my neck or anything. Okay, yeah. They said, no, you're a safety hazard. I'm a safety hazard. So I'm like thinking away. ways like, why, why can't they just watch a video of me play? Like I've been whipped in the face by long weaves, braids, ponytails. I'm like, this, it doesn't make any sense. At the peak of her career with a golden opportunity to go pro, to play with the big leagues. I mean, this is what Bilkis has been waiting for her whole life. I mean, this is what she's been training for her whole life. And here Bilkis was, Having to make a tough, I wouldn't even say tough because I don't even think there's enough word to describe the kind of decision she needed to make between the game and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Balqis, if you could imagine her right now, she was essentially standing at the crossroads of the biggest test probably at the time of her entire life. Now we're just, we can't call these people. The, FIBA's based in Switzerland, right? Mm. So there's no phone calls being made. We're literally waiting for emails, waiting for emails. So this is how it works. When you're going pro, you have about three months to decide on a country, sign a contract to get there. And so I'm in month one. I find this out. I have to know somebody who knows someone that's mm-hmm. going to speak on my behalf mm-hmm. to this organization. Like, it can't be this. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not losing hope. I'm grinding. I'm still working out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's cool. It's, it's just May, June. I'm all right. July comes. Now FIBA's not responding to us anymore. So they hit us with safety. We respond saying, like, look, you know, we can have a waiver. We can prove that there's no obstructive objects inside the hijab. Like, nothing's going to cause injury to others. No response. We're getting crickets from FIBA. All right. Now month July, July comes. And now I'm like, okay, like this is getting a little, I don't know what's next. So we're still, we're emailing, we're cold calling. We're trying to get people to just learn about this rule that's in place. And so my agent, she actually is from Switzerland, but she's in and out the country. So she, FIBA's like, this is a secret society. Like you just can't get there. So finally... August comes and this is the month that you should have signed a contract to play. And now I'm in a pickle because I had two options. It was either wait this out or you keep thinking that somebody's going to answer, respond, something's going to work out on the basketball end or I had to I was going to go back to finish my master's degree. And so this master's degree alhamdulillah was free. So my parents are like, look like 
you got to make a decision. Like, do you want to let go of this scholarship that you have for your master's or do you want to wait this out and see if this organization is going to allow you to play? So deep down, I'm like, no, nah, like I'm, I want to play, you know, <laughs> this is what I've been working towards my entire career. Like there's no way I'm giving up right now. So I get the emails from my school and they're like, you have to pick your classes and so with the guidance, of course, my mother and I made a little da and I'm like, OK, I can stop school at any time. It's fine. If something comes through, I'll just put school on hold. I'll go play. So I chose in that moment to continue my master's degree. But that wasn't the crisis, you know, mm-hmm. like that. I made that decision. I'm still focused on I'm still training. I'm back in my master's program. But as the months were going on mm-hmm. and I saw that there was no movement with basketball now I'm broken I hated I hated every part of school I'm questioning everything about Islam mm. because I'm like I, and I'm questioning Allah why did Allah do this to me that's my that was my first question what did I do to deserve this I worked hard I tried to cover the best of ways I tried to be modest I wore my hijab on the court like what else does he want from me I was even looking up <laughs> Like I have family members who are Jewish. I have family members who are Christian. And I'm like, something in that faith has to make sense for me in this dunya, right? Mm -hmm. I know Christian women don't have to wear hijab. Like I'm just trying to find an excuse to take this joint off to go play. Oh, wow. SubhanAllah. And so I remember feeling this. It was this jihad, like this battle in my heart every day. Like I was literally so broken. I know something wasn't right. In me, in my heart. And so it was funny. It was this random night and I'm talking with my roommate and she was a Muslim. But she saw me go through every growing pain at this time. And it was good that she was a Muslim because I felt like I could tell people, tell her stuff without there being judgment or without questioning. And so she would just listen because she was on her journey too, trying to figure out who she was. And I remember this night and we're talking about what's next. And I'm like, yo, like, I don't even know if my faith is for me. My umi didn't know, my family, my abu, my family didn't know that I was going through this. And so I remember telling her, like, I need to go pray. Like, it was time for me to pray anyway, but I'm like, yo, I have to go pray. I mean, we've all been there on the prayer mat, feeling lost and empty, prepared to bear our heart open and desperately call out to Allah. Because in that dark moment, it feels as though he's the only one who will understand. It feels as though he's the only one who can help. So I get to sujood in this prayer, and wallahi, I felt like I couldn't get up. SubhanAllah, I recently learned that when we're in sujood, we're the closest to him, right? We're in full, full submission. And so I, I, all of a sudden, I start crying. I'm like, what am I crying about? What am I feeling? And I kid you not, you all, wallahi, I felt something physically Leave my heart. Physically. I, wow. If I could describe to you in words better than just something physically being turned, and fi- that's what it felt like. Every negative thought, every feeling that I had was being ripped out of my heart. And I felt like in that salah, I chose Islam, that I became a Muslim. And the signs that came after that, I, was like, I can't even question this no more. Not too long after she called out to Allah, Allah called her up for a bigger purpose. Although Balqis felt as though the door to her dream career was closing on her, little did she know 
that Allah was not only opening a door, but that he was also putting her on a path of righteousness and real success, not only for herself, but for others to emulate. And so my old college coach, he calls me to the office and he's like, yeah, uh, Bill Keys, some some Sunday school, a mosque somewhere. He doesn't even know what to say, a mosque or a masjid. Like, he don't even know what to say. <laughs> he's like, they want you to come talk to the kids. And I'm like, talk to the kids about what? And they're like, they heard your story. Because the story was was out in the news. Like, there was people doing articles about it. And so I go to this Sunday school and I'm literally, what am I going to say to these kids? I'm broken. I don't know if I'm going to be Muslim right now. I'm going through it. Like, what do I say? So, of course, I'm giving them all this, these cliche, oh, don't let anybody tell you different, you know, be strong. And the kids are looking at me like, they, I'm a superstar. Like, I want this one little girl was like, I want to be just like you. She had her basketball. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, okay, Allah, like, you don't have to. Now I know <laughs> what I need to do. SubhanAllah. So after that, I'm called to do another speech. After that, I'm called to do a basketball clinic for wow. Muslim girls. And through that, y'all, through that time, my dress started to change. My hijab, the way I wore it changed. And the, the night that my hijab changed, I knew I was onto something, <laughs> right? Because I was, I was still wearing it in the turban style. Yeah. I was still wearing tight jeans. My shirts weren't that long. Like, yeah. I was still in and out. So it was one night I was supposed to be going to a basketball game on campus. And my friends were like rushing me, like, hurry up, hurry up. You know, so I'm trying to tie it. It's not tying right. So I'm like, whatever. Let me just toss it like how we go to the mailbox or something like that. Mm -hmm. Let me toss it around and I'll fix it when I get to the stadium. So I have to walk through the audience to get to the bathroom that I usually use. I knew all these people from the year before because I played on the team, right? So everybody in the stands knew who I was. Like, oh, Bill Keys. Yo, almost every person that I walked by was like, Kesey, I like your scarf like that. They don't know, right? <laughs> it looks so nice. And I'm like, what? I'm like, never. Because I'm not even, it's not pin nothing. Yeah, like, it's yeah, just boom. Yeah, yeah. In a row, people are like, Wow, I never seen you wear it like that. Because the only time I would cover like my neck would be when I pray, of course, mm -hmm. go to the masjid, whatever. And so I get to the bathroom and I'm like, and this is after I made this prayer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Allah, what are you? Look, I'm looking yeah. at myself like, what do I, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, yeah. After that night, I never wore it in a turban style again. SubhanAllah. Pinned it, boom. Like it was... He showed me everything I needed to know. And it was like, I needed to accept who I was as a Muslim before I could fight this rule about the hijab. Before I could do anything outside myself, I had to fix myself. So alhamdulillah, it took four years for them to remove the rule. I had to give up my career. I became this athlete activist that I didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. I started doing speaking engagements. I was never a speaker. And I was just like, whatever you want me to talk, I'll do it, right? Like, mm -hmm. I just was trying to get this rule out of the way so that we could play. Mm. And so after four years, they literally, what pained me the most was that they approved exactly what I had already wore in the game. So it took you four years to say the hijab, the scarf, whatever has to be black, no pins, no obstructive objects in it. You have to wear black pants or black leggings under the basketball shirt. I'm like, I'm looking at this meeting that they were having, and I'm like, 
y'all literally could have just watched the video of me play on the day that you found out about me and just say, oh, it's cool. As long as you don't have X, Y, Z, you're good. But Lisa's first love came to her naturally with basketball. But she gave that up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet said, Verily you will never leave anything for the sake of Allah, but that Allah will replace it with something better for you. And boy, did Allah come through. I mean, you will not believe what he gave her in return. Sidebar, Allah. It's me next, right? It's me next. <laughs> Going through this heartbreak of, of losing basketball, mm. I had to take a different career path. Mm-hmm. So I found out I couldn't play. I go through this epiphany of Islamic identity or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. And then I'm like, well, I have to do something with my life. Like, I can't just sit around. No. So again, the story is viral. Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. the story people are picking up. This Islamic school in Memphis, Tennessee finds out that I'm not playing and they're like, yo, we got to get her to our school. So I accept this position as athletic director slash physical educator director at this Islamic school in Memphis. So now I'm back in my roots of like my college days because I played basketball for the University of Memphis. And it was kind of a fresh start. Like I'm around, subhanAllah, like these young 16, 17 year old girls, mashallah. Mm-hmm. Like were on their dean. Like, and looked at me like I was inspiration. I'm like, y'all, I'm in pieces. I'm figuring it out. And being around them, and their love that they had for Islam, the care that they have for each other, I'm like, I need to be here for as mm. long as I need to be here. Mm. So anyway, I'm a teacher, athletic director. I'm coaching these girls in soccer, basketball. We're all living living it up. And of course, now I'm at this age where you, you want a companion, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So this idea that I had in my head for a husband was like, oh, he has to be an athlete. Of course, Muslim, but who can I find that has the same mentality as an athlete, can connect with me on certain levels, but still carries the dean, right? I felt like he was non-existent. And so I'm now breaking this idea that he has to dress a certain way. He got to wear Jordans, Nikes. <laughs> he wasn't real, right? This is, this is, he wasn't real. So anyway, crazy. I start working at this school. And when I first rewind back to being a freshman, this Muslim guy from Memphis messages me. Mm-hmm. And I see the message and it was basically like, it was on Facebook. And it was like, oh, Salaam alaikum, welcome to Memphis. Like, I heard you were going to be a basketball player on the women's team. If you need to know where the communities are, where the masters are, like, you can you can ask me. Mm. I can help. So here I am, immature. Back of the day. As y'all know, going <laughs> through it. Yeah, going through it. I'm like, is he shooting a shot? Like, gross. Like, <laughs> never. And so... Ignore the guy. Yeah. Done deal. Like, I think I said, Walaikum Salaam and thanks. And ne- never spoke to this guy again. And so through my college years, I would see him in the games randomly. And he would have a kufi on. And I'm like, yo, this guy's way too, like, I don't even want to. I felt guilty because I'm going, I'm not who I am, who I need to be Islamically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this guy wears a kufi. Like, he's on it. Mm-hmm. Never. Muslim guys back where I'm from just didn't wear kufis like that. <laughs> so I'm like, he's on his game. I don't even want to say salam to him because I'm I'm embarrassed in a way. Yeah. So I would see him. He would come bring his nieces and his players because he was a coach to get autographs. And, 
And I still would be like, I would, I would just look down, like not even look up at this guy, like oh sign, my goodness. I would sign the oh, autograph that's... and then I would just pass the paper like, Assalamualaikum. Yep. Thanks. This is so awkward. That's crazy. Yo, it was, it was first of all, that's everyone's first nightmare. Seeing the person you kind of like, like push back and then you see them. <laughs> so you see my person. So it was funny. Because he he'll explain the message. He was like, "You were because he's nine years older than I am." So at that time, he's what I'm nineteen. He's almost thirty, low key. Yeah, yeah. So he was he didn't even see me that way. Yeah, he wasn't trying to step to you like that. <laughs> he wasn't out of like out of respect. Like, no, he tells me he was like, "I thought you were a pretty girl," but he was like, "No, like you were a kid." Like what? Yeah. So here I am thinking I'm bigger than what I am. So yeah. anyway, fast forward, I see this man probably like. Four times throughout my college career. I get to this school. A few weeks in, I see him walking down the hallway at this Islamic school. And I'm like, this is the guy from Facebook. Like The what, one you work out, ago? by the way. The one you work at, right? The, one, the school <laughs> that I work at. He is walking down the hallway. And I'm like, what is he doing? Here? So again, it was oh Sanwekom. That's it. Because we didn't know each other. We yeah. really didn't know each other. Yeah. So... I'm like, okay, this is, that was awkward. So I find out he's a substitute teacher. So he's in and out. Mm-hmm. So the first year goes by him as a substitute and nothing. Mm-hmm. Second year comes and he is a full-time teacher now. Mm. And we had the same exact break time every day. Oh, and no. in Islamic, Islamic schools, you don't really have a teacher's lounge. You have the kitchen. Everybody warms up their lunch in the kitchen and you just sit and eat. Yeah. So whoever's in there, you're just talking to. So we start to have, we're eating lunch, quiet. We, of course, we'd say, Sanwekum. And he randomly started a conversation one day and was like, um, you know, I coach girls basketball. And I'm like, yeah, I see you like after school. Because he, he used to have his practices at the school. <laughs> and so he's like, I would love for you to come talk to them about what it is to play at the next level. And I'm like... No, nah, I'm I'm a little too busy. <laughs> so no, Bakisa, you're my I worst was get- nightmare. Worst nightmare. You know somebody's worst nightmare. You're a walking I, worst nightmare. Oh, <laughs> I just because I didn't know. I'm like, what is he on? Like, I know. I don't I know. really know. And so I'm like, all right, like uh, that's fine. Now I, I think I, I think I hit him with, oh, let me let me check my schedule, low key, like. Let- <laughs> Not I didn't have Google no- calendar. Not the Google calendar. <laughs> I didn't have nothing going on, okay? I was going home after school, going oh to the gym, <laughs> cuddling with my cat alone, right? Oh so, Because your cat needs you to be home by 8 p.m., right? Oh, he or he was, <laughs> look, had to be. And so the days, you know, we again, we're building kind of a small friendship. Like we would talk about family. He would mm-hmm. tell me about how he grew up as like this Southern black man. He's real and he's history guy. So mm-hmm. he would give like little mini lessons here and there. And so I feel like at one point in our year of school, I had a small liking towards him. Small like, mm-hmm. but he was completely opposite of everything I thought I was going to be with. He was bald head. I'm like, where is this man's hair? Like, you not that old, right? Bald head, <laughs> little beard. He would wear the baggiest khaki pants. I'm like, bro, who is dressing you at the crib? Like, <laughs> and so complete. I mean, he used to wear it was these Under Armour sneakers he used to wear, and I would judge him every day because I'm like, what? And he was a basketball player himself, so you would think like, as a hooper, like you have a certain standard for your kicks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 
my man's was like, no, they cost $30. Right? Because <laughs> you know what? He's a grown man. He's like, I got bills to pay. I got responsibilities. Sex. I don't care to show <laughs> off to nobody. No kid, no nothing. Like, basically, you were talking to a grown man. He didn't know. A grown man. I didn't know what a grown man yeah, it was. was. Okay? He didn't know what a grown man was. He didn't had no idea. So, but what I did know about him and what drew me to him, like this small liking that I had, was that yeah. all the kids, like he was the the favorite teacher aside from me, because alhamdulillah, like I was <laughs> one of the favorite teachers. But it was literally Mr. Massey, that was his last name, or Miss Bill Keys, mm. right? We were like the favorites of the school, and so I low key was battling him too at the same mm-hmm. time, like nah, mm-hmm. like I'm the one. But the kids loved him. So respectful. Like, and whenever we talked, y'all, he would never look me in my face. And that was something that I was weirded out by, of course, because I'm like, what? Like, what does that mean? I'm right here. Yeah. Where's your eye contact? Right. I I needed it because that's not what. That's what the West teaches us, right? The West teaches us that, like, when somebody respects you, they give you eye contact. But obviously, Islam teaches us that if you respect you, they do not give you eye contact. Right. (laughs) And so I'm confused. I'm like, he's so weird. Like, why is this guy so. This is why every time we would leave a conversation, I'm like, this guy is so weird, yo. (laughs) But whatever. Like, it's fine. I started to notice that he liked me. So I kind of was just starting to separate myself and there was never he never crossed the line mm-hmm. right he never but i didn't want i don't want him i want i didn't want to make him feel a type of way nothing mm-hmm. like that but it was one random day i have a dream about him and i'm telling y'all this was at, not at a time <laughs> where i even liked him yeah. so this dream was him vividly telling me we were at a basketball game how ironic we were in the stands and he was like i'm ready to like i'm ready to be married something like that on a law and I'm like, so now I go to school the next day, I see him and I'm like, I don't even want to talk to him. Why am I dreaming about you, number one? Why are you, why are you in my mind? I'm kind of mad about it. So I'm avoiding this guy at all costs that day. Like, I don't even want him to, I don't even, I don't want him to look at me, nothing. So the day goes by, year goes by. I'm feeling loneliness. Like, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to start putting myself in bad situations. Like, I, I, I'm ready to get married in a way. Mm -hmm. There's nobody here to marry. Let me go home and be with my family, be with people that I know love me. Mm. So I decide to move home. The school starts to find out that I'm making this decision. So I slowly told people. I didn't just blast it out because people were going to be sad. It was a sad day for me, whatever. So he finds out. And so as he finds out, he's hinting every day. You sure you want to move? Like you establish yourself here? Like... You got good stuff going on. You're traveling to speak and the school loves you. And I'm like, I want to go home to my Umi and my Abu. Like, no, I'm straight. Like, I'm, I'm going to go home. He was on it. And I'm just like, why does he want me to stay? Like, get off my back. In a way, I'm kind of <laughs> mad. Like, I'm going home. Like, that's it. So now it's about three weeks left of school. And he randomly comes up to me and is like, can we talk? Do you have time to talk after school? And so I'm I'm like, well, we talk every day. So at this point, we could talk right now. It's lunch break. Like, what? Oh, no. Just, just wait after school. So we're here after school. We're outside. And of course, this is like this weird distance in between us, right? What <laughs> we so, call the halal gap. It's called the halal right, gap. Right. The halal gap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting on the curb. He's standing up on the curb, kind of fiddling with some leaves, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pulling this tree down because he's nervous. Now the fact that he's pulling this le- this branch down, I'm like, he's like a kid right now. I'm like, mm-hmm. why is he 
so nervous to have this conversation. Like, what's about to happen? What's about to be said? Yeah. So he's like, um, you know, when you travel to do your speaking engagements, so okay. on and so forth. And I'm like, yeah, like, I've been, I've been doing it. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing it kind of more often now. Like, they're fun. He's like, yo, when, like, when you leave, I feel like I kind of miss you, your presence. And I'm like, so you're telling me you miss me? Like, what, what's, what are you saying to me? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, because I never felt this feeling before. And I'm wow. like, so I look at him and I'm like, what? What are you? And I'm, I'm generally confused. So I'm silent and I'm like, okay, what, like, what is this? What do you want me to take from this? He was like, I can see you as someone I, I could marry. <gasps> Baby, I walked away. No! I said, <laughs> no! Please, you got to be kidding me. You did not just walk away from that man after professing his love. You did not. I no, I you did not. Bilkis, no, you did not. Yeah, I did. You I, left that man I by actually, the tree. You left that man I by the I was coaching. I said I have to go. I was coaching the basketball team or one of the, the soccer basketball. I said I gotta, I gotta go back to the team. <gasps> so he's kind of looking, Unbelievable. and I'm like, <laughs> what do I even? This is new for me. This is new for me. This is not what I'm used to. And look, I could. I got to get back to the players, right? Now you blaming the kids. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't Yo, do that. Oh, no. So a couple a couple days go by after this conversation. And again, the school year's about to end. So I'm like, okay, good. The school year's about to end. We don't got lunch breaks together. Like, this is good because now I don't even know how I feel. And I'm really mad because why did you wait to the end of the year to tell me you felt some way about me? In this manner. I knew you liked me, but you you dang near loved me at this point. So what's happening? <laughs> right? So I'm trying to evaluate this whole process. I'm still moving home. That's not going to change. Uh. So he he asked me again. He's like, because he knows, like, he scared me. Like, he, he weirded me out. So, so were like, you avoiding you know? him all the days to follow? Were you like, uh-uh. like I didn't want to feel awkward. So yeah. I still was like, sound like, I act like we never even had the conversation, <laughs> to be honest. So then there's this there's this Somali restaurant, right, that we all like. So mm. He's like, oh, I got some food. One day he's like, I got some food from, you know, the restaurant that everybody likes. Do you, do you want to eat it together? And I'm like, mm. So we go to this park because now I'm like, okay, let me see what else he has to say. Mm. So we're at a park. Again, I'm like, we of course, we're in the open at a picnic table. He's across from me. So I'm listening to him and I'm just like, I don't know a lot. Like, I don't know if he's the one. Like, so I'm just, mm-hmm. and it's bad because I didn't see him like this for the entire year. So mm-hmm. he hits me with this and I'm just like taken aback. I'm like, nah, like he's, you don't like him. Like, don't force it. Like, don't force it. So we leave the park. School ends. I fly home. We have each other's information. We have each other's numbers. This is not like we can't ever communicate again. So I get back to Massachusetts in this Ramadan time. And the whole flight, I remember thinking about him in this conversation. And I'm like, there was no man who ever approached me in this way. Even the, the Muslim guys were terrible. They only knew me <laughs> for who I was on social media. And when I thought about him, he never made mention of any of that. You know, it was always just like who I was at the core when we had these conversations. I could be myself and not social media bill keys mm. and so i'm weighing i'm thinking about all this and i'm like you know what i'm going to pray about it so i let him know like that i made it home when i flew home or whatever 
And after we got married and actually when we share stories now, he was like, honestly, I wasn't going to ever communicate with you again if you didn't message me when you got to Massachusetts. So the yeah. fact that I, something in me was like, let me just let him know I'm safe. Like sometimes like I made it with my family. Like, I did that. I don't Divine even know. intervention. Yo. Divine intervention. Like, I don't even know what made me do it, y'all. Like, I don't know, but I was like, How let me long? just, out of respect for him, because I respect him, like, and I don't yeah. want him to think I'm never going to talk to him again. Yeah. Let me let him know. So for him, that was his uh, dua answer. Yeah, like, yo, yeah. if she messages me, yeah. this is going to happen, right? Yeah, and so when he yeah. told me that, I literally <laughs> dropped, like my heart dropped. And this was like a year after we got married. And so anyway, I'm home, it's Ramadan, y'all. I never prayed tarawih, witr, all of all the extra salah, all of it. I never prayed the way I prayed. And every time I prayed, it was like, Allah, like, if this is the guy for me, like, yo, send me a sign in the sky, please. So after Ramadan is over, wallahi, I felt this change in my heart. And so I told my ummi first, because my ummi is chill. <laughs> so I'm like, ummi, like, I know who I want to marry. She's like, what? What you mean? Like, she's she's waiting for this day, right? She's like, <laughs> she don't even want to know who he is. She's like, let's go. Because I thought every man was trash. Like, if you go back to my Twitter <laughs> statuses and my Facebook, yeah, yo, it was men are trash. Men don't do it. Like, it was yep. straight terrible. Yep. So, tell my Umi. She's like, so when are you going to tell your father? And I'm like, what? You not going to tell him? And, so, <laughs> you want me and then... So I'm like, I got to tell my abu, right? So we go on a Florida vacation. And I go with them. Mm. And we're in the hotel. We're chilling. We just got off the beach. Yeah. So my abu's, la- he's laid out on his bed. He's relaxed. Relaxed. A pina colada is in his hand. <laughs> like if you asked him for a million dollars, he probably would have gave it to you. You know? Facts, right? <laughs> so he's, he's good. Abu, you know, I touch his leg. Abu, I think <laughs> I got to, I got to share, I got to share something with you, right? He's like, what? What you talk about? And I'm like, I think I know who I want to marry. That man sat up so quick and said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so here's my, my umi's over here like, <laughs> like holding her Talk. mouth. She, eyes big. I'm like, umi, like, I need support. Umi, you're not going to say nothing? She's <laughs> sis is sitting silent. Now I'm mad at her. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, so you're not going to fill where's in? Where's the assist? You, where's the assist in the fourth quarter? Where's, Where you at? where's the assist? Matter of fact, it's overtime. I need you to come through. <laughs> so he's like, what you mean? You know who you want to, you know, he want to marry. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm telling him it's a guy from Memphis. He actually met this brother. He met him at one of my games in college, right? So I'm trying to ring bells. Abu, you remember the Muslim guy who told you about Master Durrahman at the game? Yeah. I don't remember nobody. What do you mean? <laughs> remember. So now he's mad. He's mad at me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Abu, calm down. The protective like, father well, you... is like clicking. He's like, huh? What man? He's like, right. I'm yeah. like, you met him. He was probably the only Muslim guy you ever met in campus. Matter of fact, y'all met twice. He said once they bumped into each other in the bathroom and then later was at like in the audience and so I'm like you met this brother twice actually and I was like see it's kind of like Allah was putting signs already like building he's like let me he told me straight up let me tell you something if this is who you want to marry okay fine but he said I don't know him and I don't trust him but I trust you 
I text him the next morning and I'm like, okay. And so he's like, okay, what? Because we don't, we, we're not talking every day. Like, mm-hmm. this is not like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay. And he's like, oh, okay, question mark. And I'm like, I'll marry you. Right? <laughs> and so, so oh he's God, like, you're look, such a cool girl. <laughs> look, this man was ready to catch a flight yeah. oh, the day that I, God. so I'm Goodness. like, hold up, you, you got to wait a second. Like, Run it through the airport. You're the rock concert <laughs> imagine running through the airport, passing security. He's like, this is that moment. I'm dead. I mean, he, and, and when I told him, it was like this weight that lifted off my shoulders. I was like, mm. Allah made it clear. Like, this is mm. this is it for you, Keith. Like, yes. And so we got married. I probably told him in September. We got married in November. Mm. Had the nikah at least. And it was very small, very intimate. And it was all pretty much my family there. And y'all, it was the weirdest day for me. I'm going <laughs> to tell you because... It was weird. Number one, let me tell you, we don't really have, again, he's a revert to Islam. So he mm-hmm. converted in like 2005. Mm-hmm. We married in 2017. So he was Muslim for a long time. But again, like he didn't live in a Muslim household. He didn't have a lot of Muslim friends. So he's actually joining a community of people he don't really know nothing about. Yeah, yeah. But even for our weddings, like as black Americans, what do we do? What do we wear? Because yeah. traditional suits and white dresses, that that's not our culture. Like, no. that's European in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I wore what I wore as a kid. I wore a, a beautiful desi langa. Oh, I was, oh, it was, look. So I channeled what I knew as a, as a child. And that mm-hmm. was the culture that I grew up in, right? Mm-hmm. And so he wore a suit, of course. And so I could see the blend, like, in our pictures, like, subhanAllah, yeah. like, it made it, made it, it, it worked. And yeah. when we signed the contract... You know, now let's like, let's grab hands. We could touch whatever. I literally was cringing on the inside. Like this man is about to grab my head. Like, what do I, this is, it was so weird. It was the most awkward. It was so awkward. Oh my God. But, um, Wallahi, like this man, talking about it, like talking about him, Mm. he was every dua answered. Like he is a friend. He is there for me. He supports me. Cause the thing is like, I live a life. I'm on the go. I'm known on social media. He has no nothing. He has like, he literally is non-existent in the social media world. And he's just there. He supports. He's a great father. Alhamdulillah. Like he's a prayer answered. And I think the beauty of that is being a, a revert or a convert. You have a different love for Islam and you have a different love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than we were born with as Muslims. So when he thinks about his wife, he thinks about obeying Allah. And that's one thing that you can't really instill in a lot of brothers today. This has to, you have to feel that. And so I don't lift a finger. Y'all, I don't do the dishes. <laughs> I don't clean, like... Don't get me excited, please. No, I might find me a good rebirth no, brother. No, if you don't stop. It's different. I imagine. I don't, I don't... Sit down, you... you you need me to rub your feet? Yes, please. Not the rub your like, feet. Oh, no. Don't it's, get it's me It's little started. things like that. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Like, Allah make Allah. dua for him. Mashallah. May Allah protect him. May Allah Ameen, protect us. But like, there's little things that you're just like, yo, I can't even, I can't even relate to other people sometimes because I'm like, yo, my husband, honestly, he's next level and I don't mm-hmm. know if you're going to be able to find, no, may Allah, all my single sisters, may Allah make, allow you to find better. To so all the listeners, <laughs> say all the, all of y'all, you better say, eh, <laughs> 
mean? But my question for you is, what's the biggest thing about love that your husband taught you? Oh, the biggest thing about love. Honestly, this is going to sound crazy, but submission. Mm. Because I'm going to tell you what. I got a sharp tongue. I'm independent. I'm like, oh, we grabbing a pack of waters. I'll pick it up and bring it to the house. Like, he says, put it down because let me do it. And I'm like, I'm, mm. what you think? I'm not strong. Like, mm. this is me, mm. right? Mm. <laughs> and so what he taught me is let him lead. Love is allowing your spouse or your loved one to lead. And I think that's one thing that I had to learn because I saw my Umi, like, she's a strong woman. My Abu was there. Like, my father was mm -hmm. in my life, in her life. They love each other. But she was a strong woman because she had to be. Mm -hmm. And so I, I mirrored that in so many ways. So when I got married, I felt like I had to be her. Mm -hmm. But it was a different situation. She came from, she was she was broken in a lot of ways. She, had, she was a single mother, so she had to make things work. And that was not my situation. And so I think he allowed me, to, and even in a way, like, to be a woman. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, it is, because a lot of women are not in their feminine energy. Yeah, a and lot that's of us what are, it is. Because of survival, a lot of us are doing both roles. Yes. Because also there's this, this big agenda that tells that women need to compete with men. Women need to be equal women. It's like there's nothing special about us anymore. And so women are not operating from their womanhood or their femininity. They're operating from a place of like, well, I'm going to be as bulk and strong and independent so I can have equal value. But the question right. I always think about is who said you didn't have value already? Islam tells us we're valuable, period. Like my our mere, existence, our mere existence tells us that we're valuable. I don't need to compete. If I already know what I am. You articulated what I wanted to. And that's yeah, where I'm at. Yeah. Marriage is, you're learning something about yourself every day. Mm -hmm. And I never thought he would be affectionate. But the love languages are real. Like for me, my love language is show me. Mm. His is sit down, touch me for a second. Oh, yeah. So quality so time as a man, versus physical touch. Yeah. Right. Like mm. you won't hear this from men. Mm -hmm. Sit down, just brush my hair yeah. <laughs> or touch my shoulder. For him yeah. to even tell me that, that's a real man. Because a man won't say nothing. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. The fact that he sits there and tells me, like, no, sit down, come, like, come. Mm. And when I tell my friends this, they're like, no way. Even my married friends, like, your husband wants you to sit down and touch him? Yeah. Like, he tells you what he needs I, in order to feel loved what, by you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's that emotional connection that I'm so thankful for because when I see even our parents' marriages, that wasn't there because they were trying to survive, no. right? They were trying to make things work. Mm -hmm. So he didn't come from affection in his home. Mm -hmm. I saw my parents. My parents were very affectionate. Mashallah. They, <laughs> they loved, my, it was my dad. My mom hated it. My dad, yeah. he's always trying to touch it. By the, way, I, like, by the way, that's also a love language wanting to brush you off you get me like you know so i can tell you get off me like but you still want i know <laughs> that's my mom every day she tell my dad stop touching me my dad stop acting like you don't like me doing that right and then she just smiles i said you just like the the trope that the fighting she trope. wants to she wants but that she fight to, right yeah, like <laughs> that's my umi she's so terrible i'll be like let that man hug you yeah. stop <laughs> But no, it's, and honestly, and then just like us growing in faith. Like, so the element that he brought 
islamically was he understood things i didn't even understand as far as like he knew hadith that i didn't i'm like how you know that you don't even speak like he could he couldn't read arabic he couldn't none of this but he knew every surah that i was that i was trying to teach him he knew the english mm. Right, mm. he could teach me the tafsir, and mm. so I shared with him the Arabi. I taught him mm. how to read, helped him learn uh-huh. the surahs. But he knew this all in English, which that's our downfall sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know what we're saying, we don't know what we're doing. That's what I was about to say. He has the fahm, the understanding. Yes, and like you go to a kid, he can memorize Baqara all the way to Nas, but can't tell you what, what Allah is saying to him. Nothing. And what's the point of that? Right, it doesn't make sense. So when doesn't we united, it was like this element that he brought, like he taught me more about my Islam and I needed that. And he needed mm-hmm. the elements that I brought. Mm-hmm. And so, subhanAllah, like he he worked for us, man. And it was just like, thank you. Bilqis found a great love in her husband. But unfortunately, she never really forgot her first love. You never really ever forget your first love. The love that she lost. But Alhamdulillah, Allah is so kind and eventually that love would come back to her in the most beautiful of ways i feel a little ounce of pain when i watch basketball Mm. right because it's like man i could have i could have still been playing or i wish i was out there you have like when you love like you said when you love something you still want to be a part of it some way somehow but what Allah did for me, honestly, when he took it away, he gave it back to me in so many different ways. So, for example, instead of me playing on the court and shooting a ball, my new my new court is a stage with a microphone and the, and the mic is my ball. Wow. And now I'm still being able to be in front of this audience. But now I'm sharing basketball in a new light. Mm-hmm. Because when people, when when our Muslim, especially our Muslim communities, hear about when they hear about me coming to speak, they're like, "What am I about to learn from a basketball player?" Mm-hmm. Yo, they hear the story. I did not know sport could do this for you, mm. right? And so, I no longer feel pain. Like I miss it. I miss playing, but I'm using it as a way to inspire now. And not just to score points and pat my stats, mm. you know? And so um, I think that's the different. And the pain isn't a hurtful pain. It's a reminder of what I went through for the sake of Allah. Balqis is an example for us all. Through her story, she taught us what it means to choose Allah, to remember him, to give up something for his sake, just as all the prophets and all the companions did before. Her story just goes to show that Allah will not leave you, nor will he forsake you as long as you believe and do right by his book. I hope you guys loved this episode and enjoyed it. But before I go, I got to give my credit to my dues to our lead producer, Hannah Adder, for killing this episode, our associate producer, Hawaii Bazaid, for killing it, our guest editor, Farida Brua, you killed it. You smashed it, sis. Our graphic designer, Wasima Farah. Our project manager, Maheen Khan. Our sound designer, Yusuf Duazu. And our marketing extraordinaire, Sosin Abdullahi. Thank you, team. You guys created a phenomenal story. That's it, y'all. Jazakallah khair for listening. I will see you guys next week in your ears, in your speakers, telling you, a good story. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
Know that tons of hours, blood, sweat, tears have gone into it. In fact, we have a whole new team of writers, producers, project managers. I mean, it's a whole new team. This means that donations and support to help us keep going really goes a long way. If you can't donate, then we appreciate your du'as, messages, and kind words. All right, guys, before you leave, I have one more thing to tell you, okay? This is a big deal, so really listen up. Now, after every episode drop, you will have, okay, listen up, special access to behind-the-scenes content, which now includes extended interview cuts, notes from the producer, and all of the archival content we didn't get to include in the episode. Imagine that. After the show... Is now live and exclusively on iTunes. The episodes will drop after every new episode on Friday. So go, go subscribe right now. Get access for free through an Apple Podcast subscription or by subscribing for $1.99 USD monthly and annually for only $3.99 USD. Sign off, guys. It's going to be amazing.